Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Here comes Connor McDavid, shifting right by Riley. My goodness, what a goal by Connor McDavid! <laughs> Look at that smile on his face. So much deception there. There was no way to know what he was going to do. Yet another goal of the year candidate right there. Our best players, other than Roman Yossi, were not our best players. And, you know, that's one of the visuals that I have when I'm looking at our team. It always starts with your best best players and our best players weren't our best players haven't been our best players and they must become our best players if we're going to be successful lots to get to and discuss on another edition of our line starts thanks for being with us paul burmeister keith jones patrick sharp it's been a while since i've looked to my left and seen you guys good to see you buddy good to be back with yeah. you we're officially at the halfway point of the season can you believe already that? no i can't it came fast goes fast yeah. going real fast yeah we're talking hockey today though not football okay last time i heard you you're doing the senior bowl <laughs> some I kind of bowl exactly. you did some great kind of, yeah it was fun it was down awesome. in san antonio over the weekend yeah nice shift from football to the ice uh plenty of topics to get to here with the nhl and here's what's on tap here the nashville predators making news on monday night parting ways with head coach peter laviolette what has gone wrong in nashville and can john hines fix it in time for that team to make a playoff run. Pierre Maguire will sit down with New York Rangers team president John Davidson to talk about the state of the team and where they're headed second half of the season. Connor McDavid scored another highlight real goal on Monday night. Do the Oilers have enough talent around him to make a playoff run? And at the halfway point of the NHL season, we'll take stock of some teams who are currently on that playoff bubble and could go either way up or down. But let's begin with that news out of Nashville. Peter Laviolette is out as head coach. John Hines is in. Here's GM David Poyle. Peter and Kevin deserve a lot of credit for where we where we are. I I would like to have been happy to work with Peter and Kevin for a lot lot longer. I'm it's not them. It may be a little part of them. It's not them. It's our players. They have to make up their mind to play the way they 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 can. And if a new voice changes that, that's great. In one way, shame on the situation that that had had to happen. Looking at our team, it always starts with your best best players, and our best players weren't our best players, haven't been our best players, and they must become our best players if we're going to be successful. As I said, I think John is one of the best young coaches in the game, up and coming, and I think his resume is just getting built. And you know, we're you know with New Jersey can't, and I don't want to go into their their, their situation, but they were in a way different place than, than we were. I'm thinking that we're getting John just at the at the right time, where he's he's coached at the you know the, the college, the, the U.S. program, and the minors, all these things, and he's got a, a a base in the National Hockey League. And we talked about these things. There's there's things that I'm sure he would say that he would do different again. And now he's got the the chance to do it with a with a different uh, different team. Our team, our age. Our competitiveness is way, way different than the New, New Jersey Devils. So I think we've got the best young coach that's out there on the on the rise. He's just getting 
into the prime of his career. Of course he likes the coach he hired. He thinks he has the best new young coach in the NHL. But that was refreshing to hear a GM not dance around it. He said it wasn't the coach. It's our players. Our best players weren't playing well. Yeah, a good coach like Peter Laviolette doesn't all of a sudden become a bad coach. I mean, Nashville was underachieving. And David Poyle talked, I think, three or four days ago about the fact that he had to make a decision coming up here quickly. He actually endorsed Peter Laviolette at that point, but mentioned that, you know, the trade deadline's coming. We may be sellers for the first time in a long time if this doesn't turn around. Uh, something changed in a couple of days in his mindset, and you can be sure that Nashville's not selling. They're trying to make the playoffs now, and they're going to try to do that by having a new voice behind the bench in John Hines. Uh, John Hines is, a, I think, a very good young coach that's coming in, as David Poyle mentioned, into the prime of his career. A team in Nashville that's in a different situation than the team in New Jersey, which was a team in transition that's bringing young players along, that's working towards the future. Uh, Nashville is about now. So John Hines is going to have a real test here to get these guys going. And I like the way the Predators are built. We had a good look at them at the Winter Classic against Dallas. And I even said live on the air, it was tough to figure out why they find themselves on the outside looking in. I like the goaltender position. They got both guys that are capable of playing heavy minutes and a string of games for them. I like how they're built from the back end out. Players like Ekholm and Yossi are fantastic defenders, in my opinion. Ryan Ellis being out is going to hurt a little bit. And then down the middle, you know, Mike... Touched on it a little bit yesterday uh, on the show with the, the top three centers kind of underachieving a little bit. Um, Nashville's been a top team for the last three, four, five years, and Laviolette's been a big part of that. Seems like they've taken a little bit of dip now. We heard from David Poyle, sometimes a new voice can spark things, and the guy they're bringing in is coming from the last place team, New Jersey Devils. So that mm -hmm. tells you something about coaches. It's all about the makeup of the group and what coach can push which buttons. As for the dip you talked about there, Sharpie, back in 2017, Nashville made the Stanley Cup final. They've gone down a little bit each year since. 18, they lost in the second round this past spring. Uh, they went out in the first, and right now they're on the outside looking in. What buttons can a coach push or, or should a coach push with a team that's underachieving talent? -wise? I, I think a general manager becomes concerned that whatever the message the head coach that's sitting in place, which was Peter Laviolette, is giving to those players is not getting through to them anymore. And that's when he looks to try to bring in a new coach with a new voice to just to try to change the look of the team. You can't trade the players, especially at this time of the season. You can tweak them. You can make a minor trade. It's very difficult to do. So instead of throwing away the season completely, he opts to bring somebody else in that maybe the message that the players receive is delivered in a different way, something that they can fully understand, and all of a sudden they get their game going. It's a crapshoot, but you're looking for something to allow your players to play to their potential, and they're underachieving right now. They're a way better team on paper than the way that they perform, so why not try this? The new coach, the biggest task that he has <clears throat> is getting these guys to perform like they're excited every single day. When Nashville kind of burst on the scenes as a top team in the Western Conference, went all the way to the finals, it was fun in the building every single night. The fans were going crazy. That home ice advantage was the real deal. And you saw it on the faces of the players. They were skating extra hard, huge celebrations after the, the goals. The building was just rocking. As a visiting player going in there, you're thinking, wow, this is a tough place to play. Somewhere in the last three or four years, it became kind of like a job for those guys. And it's the same old thing. Let's go out there and try it. We see glimpses of it. That's why I'm high on the Predators. I think they can turn it around. Uh, maybe this new coach gets the most out of these guys. They start having some fun again. When there's expectations on a team, and there has been for an extended period of time, you sense it as a player 
you feel that that coach is under an extreme amount of pressure. It's, it's incredible to watch coaches who have been great coaches throughout their careers. When they start to feel the heat, there's a different feel around the team. Right. And they try different things, and you can sense it. You see it. I, I played for Terry Murray in Washington, and about a couple of weeks before he was fired, all of a sudden he started chewing tobacco and spitting <laughs> it on the ice in practice. It was, like, it was just like, what, what's happening with this guy? And then eventually he was fired, and Jim Schoenfeld was brought in. There's certain tells that coaches are delivering to their players that they're not comfortable with the situation right now. And when players lose confidence, confidence we've watched it a thousand times they don't play very well when a coach loses confidence his message starts to become diluted and I I think that's probably what David Poyle sensed here in removing Peter Laviolette and trying something different Sharpie I I like what you said about these guys need to have fun again they need to have energy and it's kind of a collegiate thing that we're looking for in the you know the January, February, second half run of the season. It's not easy to have at the professional ranks. You think back to teams you've been on, and you, you guys both played forever in the NHL, that had that, that had that special quality. Was it more about a coach setting the tone or about the veteran leaders setting that kind of tone that allowed that to happen? Both. I lived it perfectly with the Chicago Blackhawks organization. We were a team that played in front of 10,000 fans in a 22,000-seat arena. To one year we had a coach in Joel Quenville. All of a sudden these young star players had a leader that they could learn from. You know, at the end of the day, the coach is the ultimate leader of the team. You're listening to him. Even the captain is listening to that head coach. He's getting you in the right direction. But more than that, it was the entire fan base. And they have that in Nashville. When that city gets rocking and you're walking through Nashville downtown and you're seeing Predators jerseys and flags and everybody's excited to go to the game, that road team just knows they're in tough. And I haven't seen that lately of, out of Nashville. I think they can get back to that level, but... Firing the coach is the ultimate reset, so now these guys are coming to the rink with a little jump in their step. They want to impress this new coach, secure their ice time. You know, every, it's a competition again, so I think we see a nice little run for the Nashville Predators. I, I played on a team in Philadelphia my last year in 2000 where Craig Ramsey had taken over the team because Roger Nielsen uh, was dealing with cancer treatment. And Craig Ramsey was an outstanding assistant coach. And at that point when the change happened, he, Craig Ramsey didn't do anything that was extraordinary. He did everything well, but the players took over the locker room. And we had veteran players. You played with Keith Primo. Uh, Primo turned into this phenomenal leader. Uh, Lindros was out of the lineup with injury. John LeClaire, Mark Recchi, Rick Tockett, Craig Berube. We had a group of guys, and Eric Desjardins, who Sharpie played with as well, who took over the room. Craig Ramsey allowed them to take over the room. And we went on a long run that ended in uh, Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals against the Devils. It wasn't about coaching, but the coach didn't get in the way. And the players kind of had this veteran attitude where they all played for each other and found a way to win games when I don't think a lot of people expected the team to win, including that Game 5 overtime game against the Pittsburgh Penguins in the second round. Beat out Hoshik in the first round, and then beat out Pittsburgh after being down 2 nothing, losing both games at home, coming back and winning that before losing to the Devils. And it wasn't about coaching, so there's certain moments in a season that all of a sudden the, the players take ownership of what's happening, and yep. sometimes a coaching change forces them to get out of their comfort zone and maybe do more than they've ever done before. And they're going to have to. Like, what's the new coach really going to do? Move some bodies around, try some new power play units. It's up to those guys on the ice to bring it every night and get themselves out of this. A coach knowing when to get out of the way. I mean, that, that's not something that shows up on the job requirements, but it's so important at any level. And a lot of guys don't have the ego Look, that can allow them you know, allow that to happen. 
take a peek here at the Western Conference standings. For those of you who, who can't see it, Nashville right now sitting five points uh, on the outside uh, of the playoffs and looking in. So, Sharpie, this is going to go one of three ways. They're going to stay on the outside. They're going to find a way in the playoffs and not make much noise. Or they're going to get in and be one of the real players as spring turns to summer. What do you think? I think they're going to get in. <clears throat> and they've spent the first half of the season kind of playing a good stretch of hockey, bad stretch of hockey. You know the talent is there. They've got veteran players that have been to the playoffs before and know what this second half stretch is going to be like. And I look at some of those teams that are in the hunt with them. I think Nashville has the best player-for-player player lineup from the back end out. And I like that the second half of the year. First 40 games, gave me the high flyers, gave me the top scorers. I think they, for the most part, helped their team win. Now it's the second half. You're going to start seeing some 3-2 games, 4-3. A lot of one-goal games. Nashville can be real strong in those situations. And this little energy boost they're going to get from the new coach, I think sends them in the right direction. It's a copycat league, and everyone's going to look back to last year and the Blues struggles and then the coaching change. Uh, what the Blues did have was a goaltender that arrived on the scene that changed everything. Nashville's goaltending has not been up to snuff yet. I think it's capable, though. I, I think it's a lot better than it, it has performed, and I think the team can perform much better in front of them defensively and give the, the goaltender some help. But when you look at our league and you look at the number of coach change, coaching changes that we've had this season, there's a lot of teams that have the same idea. Right. And that's trying to turn this thing around. And you can see all the changes that we've had. Uh, John Hines, the first to get rehired and get a second opportunity, a second life, a lease on life here this season. But there's some pretty big names on that list, including Mike Babcock at the end of the list, and all the Maple Leafs have done since he's left is win. So it's kind of remarkable when you look at all the changes that have happened, and most of them have resulted in positive results, at least uh, immediately in Toronto. No question in Calgary there was an immediate response as well. Uh, Dallas has gone kind of the same way they were going, and San Jose starting to get their game going right now, and I think much like St. Louis, who struggled when Craig Berube took over right at the start, San Jose looks to me like a team that could gain some traction and quietly climb back into it as well. They're playing better, and... I think there's a limit to how well they can play, though, and we saw it last year in the playoffs. They looked like a playoff-built team, played a slower, heavier-type style of play. They got star players on the back end with Carlson and Burns. A lot rides on the shoulders of Eric Carlson. When he's playing like we know he is and the contract lines up with the player, all of a sudden the Sharks are a good team. Uh, I think they struggled the first half of the season. Goaltending's been an issue, and it's a lot looser checking this time of year, believe it or not. Hmm. Those first 40 games of the season... Uh, power plays are big. There's a lot of breakdowns defensively. Now's the time of the year where that team game gets real dialed in. Nash, uh, excuse me, San Jose's starting to do it. I just think they're pretty far back there. It might be, might be a tough climb for them. All right, much more to come, guys, including another goal by Connor McDavid that pulled us all out of our seats no matter where we were sitting on Monday nights. Are the Oilers wasting his prime years, or is the supporting cast good enough around him for Edmonton finally to make a playoff run this season? That's coming up. But first, here's Pierre Maguire catching up with New York Rangers team president John Davidson. What a pleasure it is to be joined by John Davidson, the president. John, the president of the New York Rangers. Come on. Times have changed. Huh? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. John, I was so blessed to be partners with John and Doc Emmerich many, many yeah. moons ago. That was yeah, an awesome yeah. time. You know, I was reminiscing with uh, some people in Western Canada. We were just out traveling out there and reminiscing about the world of television and how lucky I was because at 29 years of age I had to retire because of injuries. Mm -hmm. And thank God television was around the corner. And the part that I enjoyed the most is the fact that 
it takes a team to put a game on television. Mm -hmm. It takes a team to put a, a Rangers team or any other team on the ice. And so you have your, your producers and directors and technicians just like a GM, a coach, and penalty killers and power play people and all that stuff. So essentially it was staying in the game for me. It mm -hmm. was, thank God, because it was way too young to have to retire and had the time of my life. Who were some of your mentors that helped you along the TV well, route? You know what? John Shannon was a producer. Mm -hmm. He's been in media works for a long time. He's the one that taught me a lot about doing color work, mm -hmm. uh, analyzing games. And the, the greatest thing he taught me was how and why. How things happen and why they happen. It doesn't always have to be negative. So that was, uh, that was one of the great things. But all the different people worked with over the years, the Bob Coles and the Dan Kellys and the Mike Emmerichs and all, all those people that uh, Sam Rose and all the play-by-play play guys who allowed me to jump in and talk sometimes too much. But uh, wonderful people. And then, uh, of course, with the analyst work, I think... Um, watching John Madden all those years. He had, a, he had a special gift for showing people the game without having to be too overly technical, just a regular guy. Could you take some of your TV knowledge and bring it to the job you do now? I think, yeah, I think so. Um, it's been a long time now, though, Pierre. But uh, when I first left the garden and all the TV work, uh, wonderful times with NBC, I went to St. Louis, and I was pretty green with being a so-called suit, a management mm -hmm. person. Mm -hmm. But uh, the knowledge that I had of the league then, because of television, and not only doing Ranger games, but doing games all over the world, whether it be Olympics or All-Star games or just other teams' games, I knew the league pretty well at the time. Mm -hmm. That was helpful as I learned the other aspect of the business and then learned a ton in St. Louis. That was a, was a tough grind because the Blues were at the bottom of the league, mm -hmm. uh, way down, way, 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 way down. But I thought we did a good job there of uh, getting them back to respectability and then on to Columbus. And they were last too, but not as, not as deep in the, in the woodpile. And uh, had a lot more knowledge about how to do things and work with people and did that. And then this thing popped up and now we're here. We're not last, but uh, we're, we're in the middle of a build and it's going to take some patience. You talk about the build. You were in Columbus a couple of years ago when Jeff Gordon, the new yeah. general manager yeah. of the Rangers, decided to put a letter out with yeah. the blessing of the old president, Glenn yeah. Sather. We're going into a rebuild. And, and Mr. Dolan, the owner. And when you're on the outside looking in, yeah. did you think that was the right thing to do? Yes, very much so, because the best thing to do, first of all, New York is a bit of a different market. It's, it's win now, and uh, it's, it's just like that. It's people want things now. Mm -hmm. And when you go through the build, if you, you have to be honest with everybody you're working with, and that means fans, season ticket holders, people who spend money, whether it be suites or just business-wise, mm -hmm. they have to be in this thing. And I, I kept saying in St. Louis and kept saying in Columbus, you know, make sure we go north, but let's, let's do it the right way. There's going to be times when people around you are going to lose their minds because they want more now instead of, why can't we trade this guy and maybe bring in this more experienced guy? You have to do things patiently and right. And um, having that experience, I think I understand that. And then when Jeff and Glenn and, and Mr. Dolan did that with the fans here, it, was, it laid it out on the table. And I think people embraced it from what I can understand. Mm -hmm. And now they're seeing the fruits of some of that labor. Lots of those players aren't here yet. But uh, they're learning and they're growing right before the, your eyes. And I kept saying in my previous uh, stops, come and see the kids grow. And there's going to be really good things. And there's going to be some tough times. It's just what it is. You think of your own children when they went through school or went through sports and they were younger people on the, in the school or on the teams or whatever. 
it takes time. It just does. It's what it is. And so you try to make that time as quickly as possible, but you have to be patient and do it the right way. What's amazing that a lot of fans don't know about you is you were the first guy ever to play goal right from major junior hockey yeah. and play in the NHL. Yeah, that... That's, that's an amazing accomplishment that people yeah. don't talk enough about. How did that uh, formulate itself, I, I was 19 years of age, and I think Tom Brasso may have been one that did it later that Not was younger. Western no, Hockey League. No, that's true. And uh, it was, I just went to camp, and I made the team in St. Louis with the Blues. Had a great first year. I blew my knee late, mm -hmm. and that, that kind of uh, stalled things. My second year, I wasn't very good. I played so well, I got traded to the Rangers in the summer, <laughs> which was... <laughs> You know, in hindsight, it was special. I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but it was a special, special run here in New York. I really enjoyed my time in St. Louis. That uh, they were great people, and I had a lot of good leadership around me—the Plager brothers and people like that. It was it was fantastic, but uh, it's all worked out. A lot of times, I come to the games here up here, and I sit up in the eyebrow where we watch the games, and if I get there early, there's nobody in the building, and I say, you know. I'm just a kid from Calgary. What am I doing here? New York City, New York Rangers, original six team. It's, uh, it's been quite a ride. Speaking of rides, take us through the 1979 ride oh, to yeah. the final against the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. Scotty Bowman's last Stanley Cup in Montreal. Yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting ride. We, we started the playoffs playing Los Angeles. and It was a short series, best of three. And I had had a shoulder problem late in the season, didn't play the last couple of weeks, and started the playoffs and uh, didn't know what to expect. And very early in the first period, um, the triple line, triple crown line was on the ice. And Dion made the pass and down the, went right Simmering around me. Taylor, was, yeah. Charlie Simmer went right around me, had an open net, and backhanded it and it hit the post and stayed out. And I often wonder if that had gone in, would mm -hmm. the confidence be a little bit different or whatever, but I, I got lucky. We won that series in two games, and then we went on and beat Philadelphia, the Islanders. They were great series. Mm -hmm. And then played the uh, Montreal Canadiens. Won the first game in Montreal. Mm -hmm. Second game, they changed their goalie. Ken Dryden was supposed to start, and he had a rough time in game one, so they were going to start Bunny LaRock. And then my good friend Doug Risebrow, his teammate, mm -hmm. hit him with a slap shot <laughs> right between the horns. <laughs> down went Bunny. In came Ken. Mm -hmm. So this is game two. We went up 2 nothing, and then it all changed. And they came back and won that game. And then it, it ended up being a four straight series. But there were some good games. We lost one at home in overtime. They had a team that was just loaded with future Hall of Famers. And uh, the astonishing part, we were very, very young, except for Carol Vadney and, uh, and, uh, Phil? and Phil Esposito yeah. for sure. Yeah. Phil was a great player at that time. Man, he was good. And uh, Anders Hedberg was there. Ulf Nilsson had been injured. But um, the, the, the real memory that I have amongst all the memories, and, and, and you know, the teammates were the best, but the city. Mm -hmm. We captured New York City like you wouldn't believe it because it was an un uh, nobody expected this to happen. Probably we didn't either. But it was a great, great, great ride. And the, I used to get up in the morning at my home up in Westchester County, go out and get the paper, and there'd be gifts on my doorstep. People, <laughs> I don't know, didn't even know they knew I lived there. There was gifts there. People just really were into the fact that we were a young group that were surprising the hockey world and made a run of it, and uh, then Montreal kind of took care of us. But you took care of somebody in 1994. You were doing it from the broadcast side of things, and New York Rangers win the Stanley yeah. Cup. What was that ride uh, like, John? Well, I did a lot of games that year, Pierre, besides the Ranger games. I did, say, Dallas playing Boston or whoever it was on mm -hmm. network television, yeah. as you know. 
And my, my feeling was the Rangers were the best team. I mean, they did win the President's Cup that year, the uh, President's Trophy, most points. But they, they just were the best team. And I, you know, I'd come back here and do Ranger games, and we'd talk with Messier or Keenan or, my, or uh, Neil Smith, all these guys. You, you know, you guys, I'm telling you, you got a shot here. You're the best team. And uh, they made a bunch of deals at the deadline. And uh, once that got going, that was something. Probably the two series I remember the most are the uh, the New Jersey series, won seven games, and the Devils played their tails off. That was really a special series. And then Vancouver, and that sh- in the final should have been four straight. Mm-hmm. Kirk McLean stopped 50-some shots in the first game. And next thing you know, it, this series is getting longer and longer, and they had big, big forwards, and they were pounding the Ranger defense. Kevin Lowe and Zuboff and these guys, they were, their shoulders. Brian Leach. Brian Leach. Boom, yep. Well, Boot could tell you the size of him, but <laughs> it was, it was, and this, next thing you know, it's seven games. Mm-hmm. And uh, it had to be, I don't know, seven or eight years later, I watched that game again. That was a lot closer than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Vancouver played a great game here in game seven. That series could have gone either way. And then to see the, um, the exhilaration with the Rangers fans who had waited so long, so long. Here's a quick story about that. Uh, Al Troutwig, one of the broadcasters here, he told me a story that he knew a family that owned a deli on Long Island where the father was a great Rangers fan, and he had died before the playoffs. And when the Rangers won that night, the family went to the gravesite, and there was a pipe that had come out with a cap on it. They took it off, and they all talked to their father that the Rangers had won the cup. Mark Messier scored the oh game winner, God. seventh game against Vancouver, et cetera, and locked it up, and that was it. True story. That's it unbelievable. It. But that's the passion of the, of the Ranger fan, or hockey fans in general in any city. They're like that. What was the passion like when you went down the Canyon of Heroes? Well, that's another story. We were doing television here mm-hmm. at the Garden and uh, uh, weren't involved with the thing, and then all of a sudden in came these police officers, New York's finest. And they told us to get off the set. The TV camera was running, everything. Get off the set now, they want you. So Sam and I packed up, went running out the door, went into a, down the ramp into a police car. And the guy, the, the police officer, had to be going 90 miles an hour, going down <laughs> to get down there in the lower end of Manhattan. Right. And once we got down there, the thing that I remember the most was looking out the window and seeing nothing but faces. It was like, uh, remember the Beatles song, Yellow Submarine? Oh, yeah. It was like being in a submarine with all these faces, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands. And then when I saw that, I said, wow, this is, this is pretty special. It was only in New York. Can you use that even to this day to recruit players to be Rangers? Yeah, I think the Rangers have done it right all the way through. Um, their training center that they've really worked on, their innovative analytics, innovative Everything from A to Z. And I think if, uh, well, <coughs> excuse me, you know, you see Jacob Truba come here and you see Panarin come here, mm-hmm. and they've both been welcomed additions. They, uh, they're loving it, just absolutely loving okay, it. Okay, now i got to ask you the Panarin story. <coughs> We're on camera. Yeah, yeah. How did you pull this off? Well, no, it... A lot I, of people uh, thought he was going to Florida with Bobrovsky, John. No, he, uh, I'll go back before that. I was running Columbus. Uh, We wanted him to stay in Columbus. I tried as hard as I could. Mm -hmm. And so did the ownership. And so did Jarmo Kekalainen. And so did everybody else, teammates. But he had to make a decision that rightfully was his. Mm -hmm. And that's where he wanted to spend the next eight years, raise a family, get married, the whole thing. And he wanted to be in a big city. And 
I think always he wanted it to be New York. And he was very forthright with our group in Columbus all the time, straight shooter. And the two years that he was there, he gave everything he had. He played really, really well. He excited people in that building. He's one of the players that you definitely would say, I'm going to go see that guy play. How much is the ticket? I'm buying it. I want to go see him play. Sure. And, uh, and then when, when it all happened at once, I was coming here, and they were talking to Panarin at the right time and his agent, uh, Paul. And uh, I, I don't, you know, the, the, when you work contracts out, that takes time. But I think this is where he really wanted to be. He, and he's loved it. He's, uh, he wanted to be in New York. You know, people ask me, does he want to be in New York or does he want to be a Ranger? And I said, don't worry about him, the way he plays. And he's infectious and his, he makes people around him better. And his teammates have... They, even in practice these days, though, he'll make plays and they go, oh, isn't that something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got that special special ability. With New York, you're happy with the rebuild or the retooling or whatever you want yeah, to call right. it. When you think about it, do you put a time limit on it? No, no, but sooner the better. I mean, you, you can't because there's always going to be potholes and curveballs. Every single day there's a curveball. Mm-hmm. And so you have to deal with them. What you try to do is is make sure that you're your your scouting staff does a good job. You know that that's kind of the DNA of the NHL now, draft and develop. And you have to have your development coaches. We've got three of them sprinkled around the world that are constantly in touch with these players and constantly seeing them, That we've the players that we already have playing in the minors or junior or, or Europe or college or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're doing a great job of that. We, uh, through, uh, through Jeff Gordon and Chris Drury, have done a great retooling job in Hartford. Um, you have a great young coach there, Chris Knobloch. Yeah, he's done a good job with his staff. Coach. They've yeah. been terrific. Um, Shesterkin, their goaltender there, has been out, out of this world in that level. Yeah. KHL in Russia, out of this world. That level in the American League, out of this world. And we'll find out about the NHL as we move so along. So what's your advice to a player like Igor Shesterkin? I stay out of the way and let him do, <laughs> let him do his Even thing. Even though you're a goalie and you yeah. played on this well, stage when, and you when took when the you team to the final. When you go back and YouTube the way I played goal, it's John, a little I different than today. So that's <laughs> no, what I was going to ask no. about the difference. It's the 1970s, yeah. 1980s, 1990s, 2000. Yeah. Now, Scotty Bowman's got five decades. The late Pat Quinn had five yeah. decades. You know, we've Great seen guy. a lot of guys. Yeah. A lot of Rick Bonus, who you yeah, know very well, yeah. five decades yeah. now. You've been around a long time. Yeah. What's changed the most? I think they're better athletes in goal. They have better coaching because the coaching for the goaltenders starts when they're kids. We never had coaching. We just self-taught and played. And then the third kicker would be the equipment. I mean, we, we, we practiced in fear. You know, you, the hands are here to protect yourself because it wasn't good enough. And you're, you were bruised. Another quick story. We played Philadelphia back-to-back. I think we lost both games, 3-1, 3-2, something like that. They were good games, tough games with Philly in those days. Mm-hmm. But I had like 103, 105 shots total combined in the two games. The second game was here. And after the game, I, I got undressed, went and had a shower. And the, as I walked out, the doctor saw me. He sat me down, and I had like 16 bo- or bruises on the body right. just from pucks hitting. He says, I want to see you tomorrow. I said, I'm, not, I'm tired, Doc. I, I got to see it. What for? He said, I want to do a blood test. You shouldn't be bruising like that. There's a reason. I said, no, Doc, that's because the way it is today. We don't have equipment that's... And, and that's gotten so much better that goalies don't have to play in fear of being injured much. I mean, they, they take them off their masks. They take them off their shoulders. We, we, we didn't. I mean, we, we weren't built for that. And if you did, it hurt. It hurt a lot. I want to ask you about a couple names, and then just give me your initial thoughts. Don Murdoch. Oh, I love that kid. Uh, from Cranbrook, British Columbia, still living there. He he could put the puck. If you took the net, the 
goalpost or crossbar, he could put it right in there. But he uh, had some life issues, and that uh, derailed his career. And I often think of what it could have been. Mm -hmm. he was, and he had a sense of humor, funny, great teammate, but he had demons. Shame. Fred Shiro. Loved him. Different, different guy. Um, he had a way of touching his players, and I don't know what it was. I just know that he was, he was great. He's the coach that I played for that got into the Stanley Cup Finals. Mm -hmm. One of the, another good story was he used to do the Devils Radio. So he and his wife would leave Westchester County and wake, make their way down to the uh, Meadowlands to do the games. And it was quite a trip because you get <laughs> lost a little bit and you know, Freddy the Fog. Oh, yeah. So he gets in there. So I'm in there one day and we're all sitting at a table and he's talking and telling stories. And he says, you know, that 79 runner was great. We had that goalie, that big guy. What was his name again? <laughs> that big guy. I'm sitting at the table. <laughs> <laughs> True story, but I just love Freddie. He was great. Herb Brooks, uh, the best. You know, when he um, he was innovative, he had ideas and he had opinions, and they were strong. He was a strong man. I had a charity golf tournament in British Columbia. I walked off the golf course. It was a hot day. Walked off the golf course. I had about, I don't know, 20 messages. So I, he'd been killed that day in, in the car accident. So from there... I left British Columbia, went to uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, to the funeral. Mike Ruzioni was fantastic talking about Herbie. And then we went back, my wife and I, to New York. We hadn't been home in like, I don't know, a month, five weeks. I go upstairs to my office, and there was a, there was a machine with, with all the uh, messages. There was like 60 messages, so I started at 60. I go all the way, I got full scab writing all messages. I get to two, it's Herbie. Mm. And Herbie is, hey, J.D., it's Herb. I want to. I got a business deal. Make sure you call me when you get back. And that was almost eerie. Oh my god! But gosh. it's a true story. Yeah. True story. I, I loved Herb Brooks. Loved him. Well, I had a great visit with him after the 2002 Olympics. I'll yeah. never forget that yeah. at the Salt Lake City Airport. Oh, I'll yeah. never forget that four hours of pure hockey passion oh, just yeah. with Herbie, yeah. Bob yeah. McKenzie, and Gordon Miller, and I. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was really yeah, amazing. amazing. We had those all the time here in New York. Yeah. He, he had courage. You know he. What he did with the 80 team was pretty special. I mean, that's yeah. once in a lifetime. But even with us, he, uh, some of the players he brought in, the Mark Pavliches of the world and others, and didn't, did, they didn't have to be six foot five or six foot the four. Smurfs, right? Well, that's what we were called, the Smurfs. And the Smurfs did pretty well. Ronnie Duguay wasn't a Smurf. Yeah, no, he, he lived life yeah. large on yeah. and off the ice. Yeah, and he was, he's a really good person, still is a really good person. He, he had speed, he had flair. Um, I really, really liked him. He was part of our young brigade. We had Dave Maloney, Don Maloney, Don Murdoch, uh, Dave Farish, Mike McEwen, Ron Duguay. I was a hair older than them, uh, but this was uh, this was a pretty special time with us. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was. I, I, it, Ron could play the game and just love it. Excited everybody. The ooh la la Sassoon commercials. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to be in that commercial, but my waist was a little wider than their jeans. <laughs> so I got the hook. Oh, that's good. You look so good in blue, John. Thank you for yeah, taking the time. It. Really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you very All much. All the best to you. Thank great you. John Davis. All right, Pierre, thank you very much. Let's go from the east to the west. Top story when it comes to the ice on Monday night, Connor McDavid, uh, even by his own standards, a phenomenal goal. Uh, got us thinking about his team. At the time of taping here, they're on the bubble. Right now they would be in the playoffs, but it could go either way. Do you see them making a run in the playoffs, or is this going to be another year where that kind of talent is wasted? 
I can answer the question by saying if these guys stay healthy, meaning Dreisaitl and McDavid, Edmonton's getting in. If they slow down, get dinged up somehow, Edmonton's out. That's how much I believe in those two star players. First of all, that game where he had four points on home ice. I know he's, he's not... He's on the road with Edmonton, but he's from Toronto, so he had all of his family and friends in there. The goal that he scored where he walks around Morgan Riley, we're not embarrassing Morgan Riley. He's a pretty good defenseman. Could have won the Norris Trophy last year. It was an incredible goal. Love how he looked back, waiting for teammates to come, kind of letting Morgan Riley know he's slowing things down, and then it was just an explosive burst of speed, quick hands in front. He's the most fun player to watch in the league, and he makes everybody else better around him. I don't think the team game in Edmonton is strong enough to get in the playoffs without those two guys' top five scores in the league. But the depth's better, and better. their style of play is better, right? I mean, they, they, have, they have some grinders on that team that have been really noticeable this year. Zach Cassian's having a great year. Uh, James Neal has had a very good year. He's been very good on the power play. It was Neal and Cassian playing with... Uh, McDavid against mm-hmm. Toronto, and Dreisaitl was slotted on the second line. They have Ryan Nugent-Hopkins as a third-line centerman. They can also play some valuable minutes on the power play on the top unit. Defensively, they're better. Goaltending, there's question marks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it will be, in my eyes, they're, they're a, still a bubble team to me. I don't think they're in a position where they're going to make an extended run this year in the playoffs, but making the playoffs would be a great achievement for that team. And I still think they're a couple years away. They still need more help on their blue line. But they're better. And no one wants to face them. Right. Like, if you played them in round one, you'd, you'd have <laughs> some issues. Because if McDavid and Dreisaitl catch fire, they can beat you out by themselves as long as they get some saves along the way. And long term with the Oilers, I mean, what better job is there to be the general manager of the Edmonton Oilers with two players like that locked up for a long period of time? All of a sudden you can add through the draft, potentially a star defenseman to the mix. And now you're talking like, that's how Colorado did it. You know, we watched McKinnon do the same thing for years in Colorado, bad team after bad team. But you saw the talent there. All of a sudden, he gets to that superstar level. Everybody else gets better around him. Now you add a guy like Kale McCarr. Edmonton's right there. Maybe not this year, but what a fun team to watch in the coming years. But what about this year? I mean, trade deadline coming up. Uh, I know patience is one way. Maybe they could be aggressive at the trade deadline, too. Yeah, flexibility with the cap becomes an issue because Dreisaitl and McDavid make so much and take so much of that cap space up. So you have to be really creative in that regard. I do think the draft is the way that you kind of fix it. Um, you, you need a couple Miko Rantanen's taken 10th mm-hmm. overall by mm-hmm. Colorado to really solidify your lineup. And that's something that hasn't happened for Edmonton over the last decade. They've drafted a couple of great players early in McDavid, one of the best to ever play the game, but that's good fortune. I mean, he was the, the best player. There was no question that he was. They've missed on some other ones along the way, and that's ultimately what's put them in this situation. Kenny Holland's there now, came from Detroit. He's an extremely good record uh, through the draft, including late picks past the third, fourth, fifth round. Uh, I think that's where Edmonton gets better. I don't think it's going to be through trade. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be addition through the draft. I think it's the only way that they can do it. That's the way I would do it. I would be as patient as I could, and that's asking a lot yeah. for some of those fans up in Alberta. It's been a rough decade or so watching the Oilers try to, a terrible team out on the ice year after year. Now they got some final pieces that are going to be there for a long period of time. The last thing I would do is give up value in the future to get in now. Yeah, you want to get McDavid in the playoffs. We've got to see Dreisaitl on the big stage, but it's coming. Whether it's next year or years down the road, this is going to be a good team. 
Uh, don't rush it and delay the process by giving something up valuable at the deadline. And, and you got a hit like the Hawks did with you, the trade of Matt Ellison for Patrick Sharp. I was, I was the difference to it all. It, it helps, man. It helps. But it is true, though, right? You've Christopher gotta... Stieg for another one-for-one -one trade. Andrew Ladd was a one-for-one -one trade. It's a general manager that took some chances. You know, you can those one-for-one -one trades are scary because you're easily judged one way or another. But our general manager, Dale Talon, back 2008, 9, even before that, was looking for those home runs, and he hit on a couple. There was a few that he missed on, but you get a couple of those guys in the core group, and all of a sudden you're in business. Let's take a look at the West Endings and see who else these guys feel might be in that category of, boy, they could go either way here as we hit the second half of the season. Let's keep it in the West. What team comes to mind? The, the one that I think is a really decent team but is up against it because they're in the Central Division is Minnesota. I mean, they've got a lot of good veterans. They have Zach Parise playing the way that he's capable of. He looks like he's injury-free this year. Looks like the back is uh, loosened up and he's ready to go. They've got a lot of veterans on the blue line, including, including Ryan Suter. And they've got good goaltending as well. They're a tricky team this year. And they also have a head coach in Bruce Boudreaux that they've stuck with. Even though it's a new general manager in Bill Guerin, they stayed patient with him. He's got an incredible record of winning during the regular season. So I, I, I can't rule Minnesota out of the picture. I think they are quietly sneaking up on teams, but I think they're a really good team and would not be shocked for a second if they make it. The only issue I have is the teams that are ahead of them in the Central Division. They're only going to make it if they get the wild card. Mm. They're not going to get past St. Louis. They're not going to get past Colorado. I mean, those teams are up there, and Dallas as well. They're not going to beat those three teams out. So they have to make it as a wild card team. And the other two teams in that division are in the hunt as well. Nashville, we touched on them. I think they get a little boost with the new head coach and make it interesting in the Chicago Blackhawks. Jeremy Colton's been the head coach for over a year now. They've had enough of a sample size to see what it's all about there. And you continue to see a good week of hockey, a terrible week of hockey, a great week of hockey, a bad week of hockey, very inconsistent. Uh, now is the time, second half of the season, do the Hawks finally get it together? They've got strong goaltending. doesn't matter who plays, Leonard or Crawford. Uh, their defense has a bunch of young kids that they're kind of letting run. Right now, it'll be interesting to see how they perform down the stretch, but we talk about getting Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon in the playoffs. How about Patrick Kane? That's a guy that needs to be on center stage in the playoffs every year. One of the fun, most fun players to watch in all of hockey, and he's even better in the postseason. It's remarkable when you look at the standings and you look at that central division, and Chicago's only a couple points behind yeah. Nashville. You can understand why Peter Laviolette was removed from the one point behind Nashville. And you're in Chicago, and that team's under heat. They're, uh -huh. you know, being destroyed through the media that the team's no good. And look where they are. I mean, they actually, they're still in the hunt. Yeah. Like you, you can mention them, and it's not a ridiculous mention that Chicago finds a way to make it to the playoffs. And that's why Nashville is in the situation where they have a new head coach right now. Because on paper, they're in a lot different place than the Hawks are right now as far as where the expectations are. Nashville's supposed to make the playoffs. Nashville's a team that you talk about before the season starts, and you could have made you know, a legitimate argument that they'd be one of the teams to make it to the Stanley Cup final if you were you know, picking the two teams to, to meet in the final. Nashville would not have been a ridiculous choice. Right. But they've become that based upon where they're sitting in the standings. Well, it's a fun conversation to have, uh, considering where we are hitting the second half of the season. It could really go either way for so many of these teams. Let's keep it right there and move from the west and go back to the east and think about uh, the same topic here, Jonesy. Teams that you want to get up and say, you know what, I see them getting in or this team is going to go the other direction right now. Well, for me, it's Florida. They're, they're in right now. They're tied with the Flyers, but 
I think Joel Quenville has taken the first half of the season to get to know his team, which a great head coach will do. I think Bobrovsky has not played to his potential in goal yet. His save percentage is still below 900. He's been looking really weak at times, and you would expect that to turn around as he gets more comfortable in a new city. He was in Columbus for a long time, and that can happen with a player who's all of a sudden brought in, paid a lot of money, and is supposed to take the franchise to a new level. It hasn't happened early. Once he gains some confidence, I think Florida takes off. They have so many good players in their lineup, and they've got a great coach behind the bench. So Florida, to me, is a playoff team but they're also in an extremely tough division with Tampa now starting to play up to their potential. Toronto's been on fire since the coaching change. Uh, they, they just continue to have the challenge of trying to catch teams like Boston as well. So that'll be one to really interest me in the second half of the season. But I think they get there. I think they do too. Florida, if they can hold a playoff spot at the midway point of the season with their best player in Bobrovsky playing the way he is, you got to think it's only going to get better a full season with Joel Quenville behind the bench, learning where those shots are going to come from. That was a big thing that Joel stresses is you're going to give up something sometimes. Let's give up a shot where the goalie knows where it's coming. He's only maybe got half the net to shoot on. Those are things that you work out uh, as the season goes along. Joel's a new coach, Bobrovsky, new team. It's a, it's a whole new situation for him, but enough's enough. He's got to start playing better in these, these big games down the stretch. We saw how important he was for Columbus last year. And speaking of Columbus, mm. I, we got to mention the Blue Jackets, yeah. don't we? I mean, I always talk about the injuries in Pittsburgh and what a great job Mike Sullivan's doing as the head coach of the Penguins, getting them to a 55-point season at the midway point. But how about Columbus? They've got just as many injuries. They've got fewer superstars in Columbus, and they keep chugging along, winning games, point streak after point streak. Uh, I wouldn't mind a few ugly losses in Columbus just so we could get John Tortorella in the postgame scrum angry. <laughs> but I like Columbus's team, always a hardworking blue-collar team. And as you mentioned, second half of the season, these games tighten up. It's more of a playoff feel. That's uh, Columbus's brand of hockey right now. Great blue line in, in Columbus, and that's a big strength of their team. But they've been missing so many top players. We know all the players they lost after the season ended last year, and Panarin, Bobrovsky, who you just mentioned, some real super, Matt Duchesne, who moved mm -hmm. on to Nashville. So you would have expected the team to really drop back. I think they're five points behind their pace of last season. It, it's absolutely remarkable the job that John Tortorella has done and the job that the players have done that have been asked to step up and perform at a higher level than they ever have before. They're enjoying the challenge. The expectations are low, and they have really bonded together there in Columbus and done an outstanding job for their fan base. How about the team that was just below them in the standings there, Buffalo? They've been up, they've been down, they've stayed down. Do they have enough Sharpie to, to make a run here these last three months? I don't think so. Too many issues all throughout the lineup, to be quite honest with you. When I watch a Sabres game, I just wait for number nine to get on the ice and show me something in Jack Eichel. That's about all they have, in my opinion. I like Ralph Kruger behind the bench. Had a chance to work with him through Hockey Canada a few times at different tournaments. I think he's got a great mind for the game, and I think there are brighter days ahead. But right now, there's too many holes to compete with the teams that are ahead of them. If they're going to go on a serious run, how much better is Eichel really going to play? How many more players can he put on his back? He's, he's been fun to watch. I just don't think Buffalo has enough. There's some players there that you're waiting to get going, Jeff Skinner being one of them. Rasmus Dahlin on the back end has had some injury issues this year but has not looked as great as I thought he would at this point in his career because he's got his feet wet now. Mm -hmm. You're waiting for him to take the next step. Uh, Rasmus Ristolainen can play well at times. He's played better this year than he did last year. And you look at some of the depth on the back end and you think, okay, their blue line looks a lot better than it has 
and in recent seasons. But the forwards, to me, are lacking. Mm -hmm. And it is the Jack Eichel show. Give him a ton of credit for keeping that team in the spot that they're in the standings. Without him, they're down with the Red Wings. I mean, that's how far they drop off without a star player like Eichel and a guy that's really taken ownership of that team. It makes you wonder, like this Rasmus Dahlin, still getting his feet wet at the NHL level. It's tough for a defenseman. They don't jump into the league right away and do what Kale McCarr does, unless you're Kale McCarr. But what if Dahlin was in Colorado in McCarr's spot, passing to McKinnon and Rantanen on the power play, feeling that confidence of being on a top team. It's not easy when you're playing on a bad team and you're a defenseman fishing the puck out of your net every time you're on the ice. It's, it's not a great way to develop. So for Buffalo's sake, let's get this guy going a little bit, Dolly, and as soon as he turns the corner and becomes a superstar that everybody thinks he's going to be after being drafted first overall, now you got some pieces to work with. Uh, whether it's Buffalo or Columbus, he talked about before, considering what St. Louis did last year, going from a uh, the bottom in January to the top when we were in June. Every single fan base uh, has hope based off of what we saw a year ago. That'll do it for another episode of Our Line Starts. Remember, new episodes will drop every Wednesday. Subscribe for automatic downloads wherever you get your podcast, and we'll see you right back here next time.